Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Alex Avila with Invincible You, living with passion, purpose, and power. I'm an author, psychologist, and speaker. And every week, we talk about how to live invincibly, how to achieve your greatest dreams in your finances, career, relationships, and health. And we're branching off from our sister podcast, Love University, which we talk about relationships, love, both internally and externally. And we have a special guest today. We have a guest, Ashley Jackson, that's come back after appearing on our show before. She has an amazing story, a great book. And today's topic, I'm going to call this, Would You Marry Your Fiancé If They Only Had Weeks to Live? An amazing true story of turning pain into power and loss into love. Welcome, Ashley, to the show. Thank you. Uh, Ashley, uh, that you was were... a beautiful. Oh, you like that? that? Was beautiful. Okay, I thought about that for a little bit. <laughs> okay, so you're an event planner, caregiver. You have a master's in human resources, so you worked in the corporate world, and then you're author of this very interesting book called Lost Travel Found. It just came out. I believe it's your first yes. book, and it's kind of a true story of you and your fiance, now husband. You went through a counter battle with him, I guess, after you got engaged, and then since all that pain and suffering, uh, he's recovered. And you started your own business called Timeless Dream Events, where you actually put on events for terminally ill, chronically ill people and their families, which is an amazing story. So first of all, welcome to the show. I'm glad you're back. Thank you. I'm glad to be back. <laughs> yes. Now, your book, Lost Travel Found, that's an interesting title. How did you come up with that title? Yeah, so it's a memoir of the last uh, 10 or so years of my life. And I definitely wanted to chronicalize different phases that I have gone through. So I was lost in grief. Uh, because the, at the beginning of the book, I talk of my father, who was a great influence in my life. So I talk about just the loss and being lost figuratively and literally. <laughs> um, and to kind of get out of my funk and figure out what I want to do with my life, because I realized life was really short. I went and a huge passion of mine is traveling. So I traveled and coming to find, even despite even more, you know, obstacles in life, which was the cancer journey with my husband, finding my purpose in life. Wow. So lost travel found, turning pain into purpose. I like that. That's a beautiful uh, phrase and look at, way to look at it. So basically, yeah. we're going to get into this later in the show, but you um, were in Disney World on January 1st with your fiance. I think it's 2017. He proposed to you. Everything was wonderful. And I think you had your birthday. And then in March of that same year, a couple of months later, he was diagnosed with a nasal cancer stage four, like mm -hmm. a terminal kind of thing. And uh, you went through this kind of grief and all that. And you talk about suffering is like scar tissue that kind of covers the pain. You still feel it, but it, it kind of gives you maybe some lessons or some wisdom from it. And uh, you also mentioned that your dad suddenly died in 2011, I believe. And that was a big mm -hmm. blow to you. And you said uh, you were reluctant to have children as a result of that and also your fiance's illness. Why is that? Why, why didn't you want to have children? You know, uh, that's a great question. <laughs> um, I think fear is a big part of it. Um, I was 25 when my when my dad passed and just missing that, all the experiences that we could have had and throwing grandchildren into that mix oh, would have been a huge, like I would have wanted to see his yes. eyes light up at his yes. first grandchild. And yes. it's, it's just been hard for me. Um, and because I'm so much like my dad, as my mom tells me, you know, I have like a little fear that if I were to bring a child into this world, which the world outside of my own fear is crazy anyways <laughs> to bring a child into, but more so I, I'm afraid, what what if I leave my child when they're 25? Okay, so if you die um, yourself, also if your husband, I guess, with the cancer, was that another idea if he died? And that's, a, that's another thing yes. in the back of my mind too. Okay. Uh, Would I be a single mom? 
Okay. You know, even though he is cancer free, yes. we're not naive to, yes. to realize that it could come back and with more veracity, but we try to stay positive. <laughs> so where are you at right now? You wrote the book. It just came out. Do you still feel that you don't want children or what's your status on that? Or are you not sure yet? I'm still, I'm happy with, with the way life is now. We we can enjoy each other. He has a daughter, so I do have a, oh. a bonus daughter. Okay, so nice. it's not like I'm entirely lacking, yes. you know, in that arena. Okay. I do have a full family built in. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's, <laughs> so that's good. I'm okay where I'm at okay. right now. now. The other thing, and actually when you were talking about the scar tissue, which is, I think is an interesting concept, covering up the pain, but also there's some healing that goes with it. Uh, you also made mm-hmm. an interesting statement. You said at the time, I don't know how you felt this. You said, when I look at my friends and family and they're carefree and I feel like I'm in prison. So why is that? Why did you feel that you were trapped or, or imprisoned? Oh yeah, absolutely. So when my husband Troy was diagnosed, I was 31 and he had just proposed two and a half months earlier. So we were, you know, at this amazing high, we were planning our engagement party and immediately we had to stop that to then plan my work schedule versus when I have to take him to and from the hospital for his treatments. And in the meantime, us in the battle, I'm looking at my friends and family as their lives are moving on, even though mine stopped, theirs is moving on. And I got, got a little jealous, you know, like, Oh, they get to fly off to France or, you know, Spain or Jamaica, wherever it is. And I have to drive, him to a hospital appointment you know it's not that he asked to be sick it was just the whole situation and the frustration of him being sick exactly and you talk about later the idea of the pity me and almost the victim mentality some people have when they get into suffering and how to how to go beyond that right how to triumph uh, upon that so i want to touch on that a little later because i think that's a big part of your story uh, the other thing that came across in your book, and I, I read it, I really enjoyed it. It's well written, and it's kind of very heartfelt. I can tell the, the feelings that came out of it. Is you talk a lot about your dad, and your dad as a role model seemed very important to you. Now, I'm going to ask you a question, but don't answer it yet. I want you to answer it in a little bit. But the question is, would you marry a man like your dad? Or do you believe that's important? Okay. So a lot of people think about that idea. And uh, you talk about your dad. You said he was a purpose-driven dream chaser. And then I, I noticed on your uh, Skype, it says Purple Driven Dream Chaser as well. So you're kind of taking some, some of his stuff, it looks like. And uh, he said that when you were in ninth grade, he took you to the cemetery. And then it uh, must have been scarier for a, a ninth grader. And he says, look at all the people that may have lost, no, they lost their potential, right? They're here. They didn't fulfill their dreams. Now, how did that affect you? That, that sounds like a very interesting lesson or scary lesson sometimes. Yeah, he definitely um, tried to give me real life lessons. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, first of all, I was scared. You know, I don't want to be in the cemetery. And (laughs) um, but it was very impactful because as we're walking, you know, he wasn't saying much. We were just walking and all of a sudden he turns to me and he just says, you know, like, look, look at all these hundreds, thousands of of people who have grave markers here and there's a huge possibility that they pass away before they could reach their full potential. I don't want you to be like that. And he would always tell me, 
you know, find your purpose. I can't help you with that, but find your purpose in life because when you do, everything else will fall into place. Do not chase money, chase your dreams, your purpose, whatever that may be. And everything else will fall into place. So I kind of held that in the back of my mind growing up because of that real life lesson he gave me (laughs) in the cemetery. Uh, It was just always frustrating because I would think I would know my purpose, but it really wasn't. Um, It wasn't until more things happened in my life as I got older, as I described in my book, which led me to my purpose. And he also was uh, helpful in, in teaching you uh, affirmations, you know, phrases we repeat to ourselves that are positive, that we believe. Uh, his was, um, uh, be above, not beneath. You know, he used to rise above mm-hmm. problems. And yours was something yes. like, I will travel the world and nobody was going to stop me. So that sounds mm-hmm. like a pretty cool uh, affirmation. Uh, so he's very inspiring to you. So would you recommend women or uh, women or ladies to marry uh, someone like their dad? Because people have different opinions on that. Assuming their dad is a good dad. What do you think? I was, I was going to say, uh, <laughs> I was very blessed to have a good dad. Yes. Um, I can't, you know, I can't speak for everyone, right. but I will say from what I've been able to tell, uh, you do marry bits and pieces. It might not be the whole, right. like yeah. your whole father, but right. there are like some bits and pieces that you find in your mate. Um, so like for instance, my dad liked to crack jokes all the time. So does my husband, <laughs> you know, it's one of the main things that attracted me to him. Yes. Um, his love of sports, even though I might not like all the sports, right. he, <laughs> it, it's stuff that it, it, like made me think like, Oh, yes. you know, at the time you might not realize like, Oh, my dad liked that or right. whatever. But, um, it's kind of funny how he'll say certain things. I'm like, Okay, Skip. That was my dad's nickname. Okay. And what, what, what was your dad's yeah. name, by the way? What, what, what was his name? His it, his name was Paul Paul M. Jackson, Paul but Jackson. he went by Skip. Skip. Okay, well, that's kind of a funny, cool name, Skip. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> so, uh, so you would recommend, uh, in some ways, if your dad is a good dad, marry someone that has those qualities or traits um, for a woman. And uh, you've heard of uh, possibly um, Harville Hendricks, who was on our show. He's a psychologist. He wrote "Getting the Love You Want" bestseller with his wife, and his idea was something called imagotherapy, that we tend to pick uh, partners who have uh, similar traits to the parent we had the most trouble with, and we try to work through those problems. For example, if oh. your dad was cold, you might pick a man who's cold to work through that. Uh, and it can be a challenge to do that, but sometimes people do that. Or in your case, you didn't do that, right? You picked a guy that was the good traits of your dad, it sounds like. Uh, or maybe the, were, the, were the challenging traits of your dad that um, your guy uh, has, Troy, as well? Well, it's, it's actually funny. And I was just discussing this with my mom the other day um, because we, my dad and I were so much alike. Um, sometimes stu- we would butt heads. Oh, you're a little stubborn kind of people? Yeah. <laughs> so, yep. Sometimes we would butt heads because we were so much alike. Yeah. And it's like we had to, you know, have the last say or, or um, you know, this, this view of mine is yes. correct. Why don't right. you see it my way? Yes. Okay. We were like that okay. sometimes. I see. Yeah. So there's elements to work on. <laughs> okay. Now, uh, so we'll talk about the relationship. I really want to get into that a little later with, with Troy. But the other thing that uh, you mentioned in the book, and this has actually become a, a popular uh, phrase these days, is the power of no. 
and how easy no can get you to a yes, right? So people are afraid of no, rejection, you know, uh, if you're a shy person, especially, you don't want to talk to people because you're afraid of uh, being rejected. I wrote a book called The Gift of Shyness. But on the other hand, the no's can get you to the yes. And you mentioned you had struggles. Uh, you went out for a promotion. They said, well, if I promote you, you're going you're gonna to fail or something. And then they didn't want to promote you to human resources. And you said you're working in a store and some guy, or a woman, I guess, spit at you and you were going to fight her, physically fight her. And another guy followed you around. He said, I'm going to blow your head off. So what kind of store are you working with? It doesn't sound like a fun store. Is that a, what's going on there? It was, it wasn't. Was that like a bad area um, or a bad kind of yeah, place? Yeah. Oh. In, in my tenure at um, the, the grocery stores, I was placed in several different ones and each yes. one had its different quirks and, right. you know, just, but that, that store was, was really rough um, on me. I had become a little jaded. Mm. I was, that's when I noticed like I needed to make a change for me because that was after my dad had passed. Yes. And I was like, okay, if I'm not going to be moving up, if they keep telling me no, I'm going to have to make my own way. Right. Because I can say yes to myself. Yes. Even if they want to keep telling me no, I can say yes to me. Yes, of course. So then you moved on from that. I think you said you became a manager or something, human resources eventually and all that uh, mm -hmm. in corporate, the corporate world. Now, the other thing that really struck me is um, your book is kind of about a, a love story, uh, two love stories, your mom and your dad, and then you and Troy, your, your fiance husband. And you said that your mom and dad were very, um, very united together. And your dad said uh, you put first God, then the marriage, and then the kids. So it was kind of um, a different approach. And you said they were very playful. They would chase each other around the house, mom and dad. You know, they were kind of like very playful. <laughs> And then uh, he called her the Proverbs 31 wife, which uh, is a classic uh, from the Old Testament uh, in Proverbs. It talks about the wife of noble character from uh, King Lemuel, saying that she's a hard worker, a shrewd businesswoman. Uh, she's also extends her hands to the poor. She's charitable, helping people. She speaks with mm -hmm. wisdom and clothed with dignity. Her husband and children call her blessed. This is one I kind of like. It says he laughs at the days to come as if there's nothing to fear. So tell me a little mm -hmm. bit about, does that apply to you or do you want to be like that? What do you think of that Proverbs 31 wife or, or, or spouse? You know, I feel like I, I'm trying, I strive to be, I'm not going to be as graceful as my mother is. <laughs> I'm too much a little bit like my dad. Okay. But, uh, like a tomboy or something? Were you I, a tomboyish kind of gal? Yes, and I, I'm just more straight to the point, whereas my mom will be just, you know, kind of gracefully and quietly, you know, turn you down. I'm just like, no, it's not going to happen, you know. Um, but, yeah, I, I do strive to be my version of a Proverbs 31 woman. Um, there's always going to be, you know, I'm not going to be perfect or anything. I, I try, you know, we're day to day, uh, week to week. Right. You know, we just relish at the, at the time that we do have. Right. But you're and a good business, you're a good businesswoman. I know that for sure, actually, because you have a good business. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> you, uh, apparently you want to help people. So the, you know, extending your hands to the poor, the, you know, the, the suffering sounds like you. And the Absolutely. idea of, uh, do you laugh at, at the future holds in terms of not having fear? Because you did mention you had fear of having a child. How's that today? Are you overcoming the fear? Or do you still um, have the fear? I would say that I'm overcoming fear of death ah. itself. 
Um, that used to be a huge fear of mine, especially after my dad passed away. Um, so that's why I try to live my life in a way where I'm just in it, in the moment, in it to what? Because you don't know what your last breath is. I like that. That's the living the moment, uh, you know, the power of now. It's a very powerful concept in the Eastern philosophy and many, many uh, religions. So then then you and Troy, okay, this is the the other love story, right? The, The main one of your book. Uh, you started out as Facebook friends, I guess, which people do that these days. And you were only friends, so it looks like. <laughs> and then you became romantic. So what was the turning point? When did you, and uh, it says you were skeptical. Did you have like a bad relationship in the past that made you a little bit more resistant? Oh, my goodness. How many okay. <laughs> do women have to go through? Okay. <laughs> How many toads or frogs do we have to kiss okay. until we get the prince? I see. Um, but yeah, no, it's, uh, yes, I had I had bad relationships. And I just wanted to focus on me at that point. Uh, But the more and more we hung out, um, he was very respectful of me and my boundaries. And uh, just he liked some of the same things I did and vice versa. And I don't know, just one day I kind of looked at him and he happened to turn to me and said, well, hey, would you like want to go on an actual date with me sometime? Wow. And I said, you know what? You caught me on a great day. The answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> so you're playing a little hard to get, or maybe you're, you know, you weren't open in some ways at the moment right, to do it. I, I wasn't open, but let him tell the, the story and he'll tell you that he was chasing me for four or five years, which he was. Oh, he was. Wow. Got, okay. Um, okay. So what made you finally give in to the love? I mean, or, you know, what was the, um, something about him, something he said, or just uh, time? It, it was timing for me and definitely how he treated me. It was not like how anybody else had ever treated me. Mm. So he was patient and uh, loving and all that. Uh, yes, and he respected my boundaries and didn't press yes. on them. Yes. Like at first when I told him, because I knew he liked me more than a friend. Okay. But when I told him like I wasn't ready for that at this right. point, mm. he didn't pressure me anymore. Okay, so he pulled back. He, you know, he tried, didn't try to get romantic or physical. He just said, "Hey, I'm going to let you take your time." So right. you grew to love that. So, and then at some point, you fall in love with him, right? You get into a relationship. Everything's cool, and then you say, "Hey, by the way, I'm going to take a solo world tour by myself uh, to many countries. Uh, I'm going to go to uh, Fiji and India, Egypt, and everywhere else." And uh, you're not coming. Now, first of all, you said he 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 was okay with that, but what was your idea about that? That you just take off by yourself? I just felt like I needed to heal for me uh, because I had not grieved my dad up until um, it took me almost five years after his death to finally say, okay, enough is enough. I need to do something for me to get my head clear, grieve his, um, his death. And I, when I explained all of that to Troy, um, we have been dating for, gosh, like a year and a half by that point. So we were, you know, pretty secure. And he knew I wasn't going to like sow my royal oats anywhere (laughs) or anything like that. So I literally was going so that I could gain some clarity for me. And he knew that if I wasn't going to be good mentally and physically, I wasn't going to be good for him. Wow. And when we had that talk, he understood and said, I'll be here when you get back. So he wasn't jealous or possessive, which, you know, some people may be that way. You know, if you're taking off for months, 
that he was supportive, right? So he, he wanted you to feel good and have self-care. And uh, apparently you had yes. some great experiences. You, uh, now, you just say you did injure your foot or something. You got infected. You were in the hospital. I did. Uh, for, for, in, in, in another yeah, country. within the first, like, two weeks. Okay, not a good start. Okay. But then uh, it sounds like you recovered, and you made a lot of great friends. It sounds like you made a loving connection yes. with people. And, uh, you know, Love yes. University, we talk about loving others without expectation. So it sounds like people helped you that when you were injured, too. Uh, not time. Oh my goodness, yes. The the people that I encountered along the way and even after I had healed were so amazing. I still talk to um, two of the the people that I grew close with when I was in Australia yeah. um, and in New Zealand. So um, I've actually gone, uh, a couple that I talked about uh, that were from Sweden. Hmm. Um, I have gone back, gone to go see them in Sweden and visit with them. And uh, next year I plan on going, um, taking my mom to meet them in wow. Sweden next year. And one of the couples that lived in Australia at the time, now they're in France. So we're going to hmm. go see them in France too next year since we'll be in Europe. And wow. so I, I do keep the lines of communication open. Yes. I've gone to see people that I met along the way and love on them. They love on me still. So yeah, it's a mutual. Was, yeah, it's a tremendous yeah. experience. Um, hopefully with the virus, you know, hopefully uh, winding down, people can travel more and, you know, yeah. get back to the, the world. Now, the other thing that was very beautiful is one of the very touching is um, when he proposed to you on January 1st, 2017, it looks like, at Disney World, you said that this was your favorite place. Like, he knew this is, like, your uh, dream place, right? And you guys are going to all this, uh, walking around and all that, and then he, he apparently pulls out a ring, and then he says a beautiful phrase. I think this could be, like, something you could put on a postcard. Can we chase our dreams together forever? Which mm -hmm. is very lovely. And then you, apparently you said you were speechless, and you kind of, for 15 minutes, you walked around the, the park. <laughs> And then you didn't do anything, and then uh, at some point, I guess you heard a song or something like, uh, what's the song called about the, what's it called? Um, yeah, it, it was the uh, fireworks that started going off. Fireworks. And, like the Jiminy Cricket song started playing. Oh, okay, Jiminy Cricket. What's, what's the song, uh, something, what's it called? The, when You Wish Upon a Star. Oh, When You Wish Upon a Star. Okay, so, yeah. Uh -huh. So, and then you, and you said yes. So, but why did you delay 15 minutes? What, what was going on? I was just so shocked because I, I am such, which I've gotten better at this, but I'm such a control freak ah. that I was like, how come I didn't know he was doing oh, this? Oh, okay. So you but, thought you, you should, but you, of you should know. But you don't know. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so so yeah, he surprised so. you. He, he really pulled a good one on you, right? He surprised you. He did. He really surprised me good. Wow. And he knew I wasn't going to say no by Cinderella's castle. <laughs> he had it all planned out. He knew. Oh, okay, cool. And the song came <laughs> out at the same time that you love the song and all that, and everything's going good, right? That's, yes. It's crazy. It's crazy. And did he um, get on one knee, or he just pulled it out, uh, the ring? It's, it's so funny because he... I saw him out of the corner of my eye trying to like fumble ah. and I'm like, what is he doing? Well, he was trying to kneel down, but there was oh. people behind. Oh, really? Oh, okay. <laughs> behind hey, you don't want to step on someone's toe. That's, <laughs> yeah. That, that's wow. how packed it wow. used to be before COVID. Okay. Um, so he, he was like halfway kneeled and I was like, I, I thought maybe he had dropped something. Oh, okay. okay. Um, wow. But yeah, no, he, he was almost there. <laughs> so that's a wonderful thing now, but you, you went from the heights of joy to despair 
when apparently after your birthday, your 31st and March the 17th, which a couple of months later, mm -hmm. he's diagnosed with this terminal kind of uh, nose cancer, as you call it. Uh, yeah. And then the whole, everything changed, right? You said your whole life changed. Um, so tell us, uh, what, what was your feelings? Um, I, I know he went through surgery and radio, radiation and all that. So tell us about that. Oh, yes. I mean, he, he had the whole gamut done to him because of the stage it was in. It was rare and uh, just the placement of it. Yes. So they, they had to do chemotherapy um, and radiation to try to shrink it. Um, which it were, appeared to work for a little while, right. uh, but it, the tumor just would grow back. So finally they decided to go ahead and just do surgery. Um, the surgery was pretty major, which, you know, doctors will warn you of the consequences that could happen. And, you know, we're sitting there like, okay, thank you for letting us know, but like, is that really going to happen? And it did. <laughs> um, so, so they took, just, out, they, you know, they took out his eye and part of his face was kind of messed up as well um, after the surgery. Yeah. Yeah. So so it's it was on his left side. So they had to take his uh, left eye, part of his left nostril wow. and a part of his skull wow. because the, the tumor had just like broken so much like bone. Yes. That's why they had to go in and remove so many things his left eye was working but they were afraid that if they didn't take the eye the tumor would just keep swirling around it and spreading and causing even more damage so they so, went ahead and so took here, here's it. a realistic question after his looks were gone did you still love him uh yes i loved him still it was a shock i'm not gonna lie so when yeah. i walked back to yeah. go see him yeah. when he was in recovery because he was asking for me i almost fainted wow. um now thankfully my mom was behind me because oh. she okay. she kind of caught me a little bit yeah. um but i let i let his mom go talk to him first because especially with family caregivers if you're listening we know we all have to be strong yes. we feel like we have to be strong we right. have to wear our superhero cape right. and we can't let our uh, family members see us crying yes. or or weak yes. so that's what I had to step out into the mm. the um, right. hallway to gather myself right. before I went back in uh, it took him a couple months to realize though that he didn't just have something covering his eye mm. that literally his mm. eye was no longer there because wow. about a month and a half after the surgery mm. he asked me when do we go back to the doctor for them to take mm. this mm. patch off of my eye wow. and i was constantly reminding him that it's not a patch mm. per se over your eyes it's, right. it's your eyes gone yes. so it took him a couple months to right. for it to be drilled in yes. that like wow they really did have to yes. take it yes. even though yes. he knew it was still right. you know psychologically he wasn't understanding yeah, kind of the loss of a limb you know people go through horrible you know losses uh, physically it takes adjustment process but the thing right. is, um, we had a, one of our uh, guests was uh, Pedro Cabilla. He's a famous Puerto Rican uh, poet and author. And I uh, asked him about a relationship. He's very happily married with his wife. And he says his uh, secret is to marry the most beautiful person in the world, but that happens to be in sight. And mm. he says, people, you have rose-colored glasses. You see each other in the most beautiful way. And I'm sure with him, uh, you do love his, his qualities, right, as well as you know, who he yeah. is. 
And that enhances the beauty of the person. Uh, as opposed to some people are superficial. They just go by looks or, you know, chemistry and, hey, you know, I'm not interested. But you're, you're different, I think. I mean, that is, that's so true. And I've been asked this, you know, multiple times, like, you didn't think about leaving, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I, I did not. You know, I was scared that I wasn't going to be strong enough. I remember, yes. you know, telling my mom, I don't know if I'm strong enough to to get him through to get him through this. Mm. And, you know, she just reassured me, like, yes, you are. You're a strong woman. Yes. You have your dad's, you know, Perfect. blood run through your veins. Yes. You know what you need to do. You've been doing it so far for Troy. Just mm. keep pressing on and you'll you'll you know, rebound from this and whatever way that looks like. That's wonderful. That's powerful. Now, you said at some point, though, you kind of felt your spirit was broken because your dad, you know, he died. And now you had Troy and you're a caretaker, right? And caregivers, you give so much of yourself, and you you know, and then you feel a little guilty about it. Uh, but then he yes. said something like uh, to you, I don't want to die. He said, we're going to fight. So by saying yeah. that, it kind of opened up your spirit, you know, your fighting spirit, which I guess is like your dad to, you know, never give yeah. up, right? So that was a, a big step. Uh, the other thing that I find interesting in your book, you actually wrote a letter to cancer. You wrote it, you know, like as, as a person, uh, saying things like, dear cancer, why did you turn my life upside down? Why did you take his mm -hmm. dignity? But then I read a little closer and I was thinking some of those things you can actually consider almost as lessons and somehow pain can become a power because you also mm -hmm. asked uh, cancer, why did you make me realize who my real friends are? I thought, wow, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. Why did I worry about what would others would think so much about what I do? You know, so feeling guilty. And why do you make me question myself and God? Almost like deep, uh, reflective question. So how did that kind of uh, give you some uh, ideas about that, the way you, you wrote that? You know, so I actually uh, invested in a writing coach as I was on this process of writing my book. And she told me, uh, to always, if always carry paper and pen with me. Um, and if I ever felt a need to write to, you know, if I'm in the car, pull over and write. And I actually had turned into a grocery store that I actually happened to work, uh, used to work at. And I had this overcoming sense of actually pick up your pen. And I did. And the topic didn't, it, it just came off the top of my head and it was just this nasty note to cancer because I had so long wanted to beat it up, but you can't physically beat cancer right, right. up. So that was my form of being able to scream and yell at cancer. And it just came to life off the page to me. Wow. What's well, like catharsis, you know, in psychology, the sudden release of feelings that are built up, they kind of make you feel better. You cry, you, you know, maybe hit something, but you feel better. But I was thinking, though, that there is, in a sense, a lesson in some of these things you're saying. I mean, you're very angry at, at cancer. But the thing about who my real friends are, did you have find people that weren't really your friends that weren't around because of this? Yes, and and I do realize that some people just don't know what to say. It's just like if, if mm. and when someone dies. Yes. Sometimes people just really don't know what to say. They say right. the wrong thing or they yeah. don't say anything at all. And I ran into that um, a lot. There's some people that I kind of had to to put to the back burner um, because they either just weren't 
in my life or they weren't a comfort or peace, um, bearing peace in my life. And I didn't need any extra drama or, or something that would bring me down because I was already burning out as a caregiver. (laughs) So somewhere that can be almost painful to lose uh, so-called friends, but maybe a a positive thing, right? To move away from people that are negative, that are not, you know, feeding you uh, positive energy. Right. And and your loved friendships, And I do realize friendships and relationships ebb and flow. I mean, there's even some family members that I've pulled back from because they weren't necessarily supportive. But um, that's life. And I've been told by a very wise man, my father, uh, that some people you just have to love from afar. Oh, interesting. Good point. So you can still love them, but you might not be in their lives exactly. every day. Yeah. Some people are negative energy and, um, you know, they're like in a, people in a zoo. You know, you can look at the, the animals, but you don't want to get too close to that, that animal. They might, they might bite you. Right? Exactly. <laughs> so, exactly. Right. The one thing I like about your book, now you, you seem like you love music. Every title has a musical song that's anywhere from R&B to, you know, modern hip hop and all that. Uh, do you sing, by the way? Actually, do you have any musical talent? Oh. Yeah. No, I love oh. to, but no one needs to hear oh, okay. me sing. I was going to ask you to sing, but I guess if you don't. <laughs> uh, even our, our Reggie, our producer, he sang a song one time. Right, right Reggie? Mm-hmm. What, what did you sing for us that one time? Uh, there was, I think I sang several times, actually. One time I sang Tub Thumping by Chumbawamba and Danny Boy another time. <laughs> okay, Danny Boy. All right. So, you know, he does it because he loves it. It's just joy coming out of his lips. Uh, so you said that you guys would put music on in the car on the way to the hospital, back and forth. Were you guys either singing or just listening to the music? What was going on as you did this? Oh, my goodness. Definitely singing, okay. putting on full concerts if we could, <laughs> okay. you know. I have the Tiger, it, it, you said, other uh, gospel music as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah gospel, rock, pop, uh, Tupac R&B, was his favorite. Uh, Tupac, you think you said? Tupac is his yeah. favorite rapper, yes. so we would listen to a lot of Tupac. <laughs> okay. um, it, it helped release a lot of tension and yes. anxiety. Right. Um, just going to the treatments, and uh, then by the time he's done with his treatments, because it would be eight to ten hours a day, uh, wow. then it would be, like for me, I need music that keeps me yes. up so that yes. I can drive us home safely. It's like a full-time <laughs> job. It sounds like eight to 10 hours a day. That's pretty pretty intense. It's like a real job. Yeah. yeah. And, yep. uh, and then the music would uplift your spirit. And uh, we had actually one of our guests on the show is a young Filipino man who's a business um, successful author. And he says he does in the morning uh, a car dance. So before he goes to work, he starts dancing in the car and he visualizes all the sales he's going to make. And actually it helps him throughout the day. So it's like uh, actualize, he visualizes and actualizes the, the music in his, his head. Now, the other thing is, oh, like that. yeah, that's a cool thing. Um, what would you dance to, let's say, if you had the music on a daily basis? What's oh, your favorite kind of song? Do you, that, you look like, so you know, like you even like old style disco looked like and R&B from the old days. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I love, I love Chic, uh, Cool in the Game. The Freak and all that stuff. And, uh, yeah. Sister Sledge. Okay. Oh, I love all of that. All the old classic because Mot- I grew up. Yes. Yeah, Mot- I grew up listening to that with my parents. Motown and all, yeah, all that stuff. Yeah, okay. Yep. Uh, <laughs> uh, now the other thing you mentioned is uh, there's a good book, uh, the Five Love Languages, and they talk yep. about how we need to give love in the way people want to receive it. Uh, Gary, as a Gary Chapman, and you said you guys had to learn how to give each other love in the way you wanted. For example, you said he is into touch, 
and words of affirmation, and you're into yes. gifts and acts of service. So in the beginning, yes. was he trying to give you more affection than you wanted physically and, and uh, appreciation, and you were not giving him what he wanted back? Correct. It was frustrating. <laughs> um, <laughs> so you want so, him to fix your the, car, or like it when he does stuff for you, or makes you cooks you something? That's what you. Would... So I love it when he cooks for me, hmm. and I see. Oh, it's just so sexy when he, ah. you know, just uh, puts on a chef's hat or something. Vacuums. Oh, okay. Vacuums and washes the dishes. Okay. That's that's beautiful to me. Wow. Um, that way, because because I am the sole breadwinner. Yes. It helps me to focus on getting the clients or yes. making the calls I need to versus right. having to wash a dish right. or vacuum the floor. Okay. So I that's why I like the acts of service. And if he comes home with a Chipotle burrito every now and then, <laughs> I consider, consider that a gift. Okay. So. That's kind of cool. Okay. And then he likes uh, hugs, kisses, and, you know, nice words. What, 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 what affection do you call him? Do you call him um, baby or honey or something or? What are your pet words? Um, <laughs> Don't about I, I, I call him uh, Bay. Um, B a y. And yeah, uh, B B a e. Okay. And uh, yeah, that's that's basically it. Okay. What does he call you? What are, I'm not sure he has words for you too. That are nice. Uh, the same, um, babe, Ash. Okay. So not, you, not, not too many people call me that, but him. Oh, okay. Well, here you go. So, so you get him the chance. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a, <laughs> very loving. Now, the other thing is uh, about your book. This is, I think, a main point. You say, don't be a victim. Turn pain into purpose. So uh, yeah. one thing you mentioned is the, the caregiver that you are and others are, uh, you used to have the idea that you cannot show fear so that you have to be very strong and you can't really take care of yourself because you have to take care of others. But what have you learned uh, since that time? Um, that's definitely a lie that we tell ourselves. We can definitely take care of ourselves. Yes. We can treat ourselves yes. and we deserve to. We put a lot family caregivers put a lot of ourselves into who we're caring for. And nine times out of 10, we are not getting paid for this, you know, and it's it, our lives change in the blink of an eye, um, you know, for for instance, I just read um, a couple uh, days ago, there was like 43 and a half million of us uh, family caregivers okay. and we're not paid. Mm. It's not like we're a nurse or home health um, care person that can clock in and clock out. Right. We're here 24 seven with our loved one. Mm -hmm. okay. <laughs> um, so well, let me give you a book idea. What if you wrote a book for caregivers, how to love yourself and your loved ones, uh, kind of a mental health uh, program. Yes, so that's definitely something I would be interested in doing. Yes. I have so many book ideas yes. since I've written my first one. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> you got the hang of it. But I think uh, yeah. the thing is you're drawing from who you are. That's the power of authenticity, right? When you write a book or do a seminar or presentation. And uh, the intelligent care caregiver, that's the phrase I would use. Intelligent meaning you take care of others, but also yourself. Because you realize you have to replenish yourself to be able to give more love to others. And that's exactly. a big issue. And uh, the other thing that you talked about in the book, that's actually, I think, a very powerful idea, is to use your pain points for your purpose. And you said your pain point... Uh, obviously, you know, the tragedy of, um, of your uh, fiancé, Troy, husband, 
uh, your dad, but also your passion connected to that, which I think you mentioned is travel and putting on events. So yes. then uh, and you had, I think you had a coach you said that helped you with all the stuff and you had this insight, a sudden um, gestalt uh, that yes. I can do this. I can create an, a, a company where I put on events for chronically and terminally ill people. Uh, you call it timeless dream events, where I think you put on yes. weddings for people that may be dying actually in a short period of time or birthday parties or celebrations. That's an amazing concept. Yes. Tell us about that and what's going on with your company. So I think we had you on about a year ago. What's been happening yeah. since then? Yes. I had just launched like yes. oh, a oh, wow. month or so. We were there at the inauguration. So that's cool. Yes. <laughs> so tell us were. about that. Yes. Tell, tell us a little bit about that. Uh, it, yeah, a year out, it's it's been wonderful the the love and support that I've received. And um, I was telling you earlier that I've even had clients book me not because that they are terminally or chronically ill, but because they have gone to my website, yes. read my story on there, and they're like, whoa, like, I just want to work with you, yes. um, which is totally fine. I'll help anyone and everyone. But, you know, it's been... It's been interesting to see uh, where Timeless Stream Events has, has taken me. I uh, did become ordained earlier this year wow. uh, because one of my friends who I uh, was helping plan her wedding, she asked me to be her officiant. So oh, I said, OK, okay. Wow. you're pushing me a little bit out of my comfort zone. <laughs> but it was a God thing yes. because another friend I, I had just gotten my yes. uh, license ca card in the mail okay. and another friend had texted me saying my dad literally has a week wow. or less to live. Mm -hmm. Can you figure out uh, an efficient for me? Can you get me a cake? Can you, you know, all these different things. And I'm like, mm -hmm. I can do, <laughs> I can do it all. Um, because I hadn't told anyone that I was yes. um, becoming an efficient okay. um, ordained minister. And um, yes. so it just was a God thing. I was able to marry one of my really good friends mm. in the hospice wing. Wow. Um, of her father's hospice wing. And the hospice people are so nice. And they, when they heard about my business and what, yes you know, I stand for, they were so amazed because they're like, well, they've never heard anything like this before. Yeah. But um, sadly, her father did pass maybe three days. It was about three or four days after right. um, we got her married. But, but he, you saw the just, event. He felt the, the, the love in there yes, before he went. Yes. That's beautiful. And it just reaffirmed what what I'm doing. Yes, definitely. And it sounds like it's you do you do so many things. Uh, you said you um, you cater you cater to the place. You do videography. You do travel agency too. You, you have trips as well. Yes, I, I am a travel agent as well. Wow! So I can get you know my clients hooked up with whatever they need. I have right. you know people that are willing to help last minute if need be. Okay, and you can marry them too, right? So this is your newest thing. And I can marry uh, them okay, too. Okay. But, but, but don't divorce them, though. We don't want a divorce, right? We don't want the marriage. No. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, okay. All right. So the marriage, uh, <laughs> everything else is kind of cool. He said that uh, you do this in a short time frame. I mean, unfortunately, people may, may die right during this time, but you do it quickly. Uh, you're also sensitive to, obviously, their pain and suffering. And your goal is to help the caretakers, right, in their journey of loss and also joy as yes. well. That's a beautiful thing. Absolutely. So I see that as a powerful mission that you have, that you're creating, like I said, from your pain. So that, that pain point has created a miracle in your heart, 
right? It's really helping a lot of people. Absolutely. And you said you're like I the, love that. Which one? How you said it, the pain point created a miracle in my heart. I like okay, that. Work that out. Okay. Yes, it does. <laughs> and then you say you're like a phoenix that rises from the ashes, the bird that does that. So that's wonderful. So actually, again, as always, we love having you on the show. And we want to have you back. And by the way, I'm starting a sister podcast from Love University called Invincible You, which actually is more about personal empowerment, uh, also in the business okay. area. So maybe we can have you back on talking about business and how to achieve your goals. Oh, yeah. and that, you know, kind of the uh, other side of things. Loving, I would love to. Loving your work, you know, your career. That would be another topic. So tell us uh, a little bit about where people can get a hold of you, your website and other things you have to offer. Yes, absolutely. So you can find me all over social media, <laughs> Facebook, Instagram, Clubhouse, TikTok, LinkedIn, all that Timeless Dream events. My website is TimelessDreamEvents.com. You can also order a copy of my book from there and I will sign it for you. Like if you like Amazon, because you can get your stuff the very next day. Day. Yes. My book is on yes. Amazon as well. I ordered one copy on Amazon, so I got it immediately. Yeah, so this works. <laughs> exactly. See, <laughs> lost, travel, found, and it is for a little bit of everyone. Whether you're a caregiver, you're on a grief and healing journey, you love to travel. There's some adventure. There's a little bit of everything in there for for anybody to read. And you can find me, like I said, almost everywhere on social media. <laughs> so actually, speaking of travel, do you ever get out to my area, Southern California? Have you been out here at all in the past? I have, but not since COVID. And right. I need to come out there. Yeah, I'd love to have you come. Soon. Maybe we can do something yeah. together or, you know, have something that can inspire people. Yeah, that'd be fun. And uh, where are you located at? Where's your, uh, your city? I'm in Ohio, okay. Dayton, oh, Ohio okay. I definitely area. know where that is. Uh -huh. Perfect. Well, again, it's been wonderful to have you on the show. If anyone has any questions about today's show or more about Ashley's work, they can reach us at 310 68090 loveuniversity.love and also write to us at loveuniversity at gmail.com so actually your story is wonderful but also what you did with it and that's the key I think the fact that you like the phrase uh, your pain point is now the miracle of the heart it kind of can apply to a lot of people because people, sometimes when they suffer pain, they can be defeated and say no. But what if they take that into something positive, right? Into a joyful thing they can help others with. And you're doing that. And you're giving love without expectation. So thank you again, Ashley, thank for being you. on the show. Thank you. We would love to have you back on again. So until next time, this is Dr. Alex Avila. And this is Ashley Jackson, turning pain into purpose. Until next time. And that was a beautiful interview with Ashley Jackson, the owner and founder of Timeless Dream Events. So basically, the key is she took her pain point of what caused her suffering, the illness, cancer of her fiance, death of her father, and turned it into power and purpose, where she created the Timeless Dream Events, a beautiful company where put on events for people who are terminally ill or chronically ill, birthdays, anniversaries, and also celebration of life. And the, really the lesson from this is that when you give love without expectation from the suffering that you have or pain, you can transform it. You can turn it into something beautiful. We call it the miracle of the heart. So Invincible You students, go out this week and try to find a way to turn your pain inside into something positive, something that can help people, something that can bring joy. Many of our greatest inventions, greatest ingenuities come because people want to find a solution to something that brings them pain, whether it's relationships, finances, or health. If you want to be part of our show, have a show idea, or would like to ask a question, you can reach us at 310-226-8090, loveuniversity.love. Email us at loveuniversitylove at gmo.com. You can like us through our sister program, Love University, at Love University Podcast for Facebook. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, at Love Letter U Podcast. You can subscribe to Invincible U at Podbean, Spotify, SoundCloud, and iTunes. You can follow us at Invincible U underscore on Twitter, 
or follow us on Instagram at InvincibleUOfficial. So until next time, let's go out and live with passion, purpose, and power. This is Dr. Alex Avila, and this is Invincible You. 